Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome back. I'm Jim Oliver, your host, and today with me is Nick Costco, your co-host. Nick, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You know, we're recording first thing in the morning here in South Dakota, so I'm just trying to get my uh, mindset right for a beautiful sunny day in South Dakota. Yeah, we got this uncommonly cool summer weather here in Louisville, and I'm looking forward to getting out and enjoying it myself. All right. Well, you know, unfortunately, I won't be on the golf course today, but we can talk a little infinite banking, and, uh, and this is the next best thing, right? That's right. And I'm looking forward to, you know, we got this multi-part series where we're going to cover, you know, review, becoming your own banker. And we'll call this part three as we just go through this and uh, unpack it. And it's been beneficial, I think, for both of us just to get back into it. And uh, we know our listeners are enjoying it, too. Absolutely. So we're on page 21, creating your own banking system through dividend paying life insurance. Now, this isn't your state farm policy or your Northwestern Mutual or your New York Life policy where it's all base premium. This is PUA heavy to help the cash value early on. And then we drop the PUA off. And when the base policy is efficient, we design it, which we're going to get into later in the book. Nelson talks about this, but we're designing it for banking as the primary goal and the other benefits that come with life insurance as the secondary goal. I like how we, we ask the question a lot. So Jim, is your need for finance greater in your life or is your need for death benefit greater in your life? Absolutely, yeah, your need for finance is bigger than your need for death benefit protection and also investment in Wall Street type of investments. And that's, really, that's just really what we're trying to solve is we've got this huge need for finance, because as Nelson says right here, right in the first main paragraph, we finance everything we buy. That's so right. If, if through my life I'm going to spend millions of dollars on various sundry things through my life, why wouldn't I want to try to solve that problem of how I do it? That's right. That's right. And by the way, this is one of the things that I think we hit the most resistance on is this first principle. You finance everything that you buy, either pay interest to someone else or you give up interest you could have earned otherwise. Now, that lost opportunity cost, you can stick your head in the sand and act like it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, but it is happening. And the way that we justify it is, well, that's just part of life. I mean, I just, I have to accept that I have lost opportunity cost. And, and that's really where I think Dave Ramsey gets some things wrong is he doesn't put a cost or a value on cash. And that brings us, Nick, to Fortune Magazine, 1993, right? And Sean Tolley, in the article titled, The Real Key to Creating Wealth. Now, back in 1993, good job, Sean. <laughs> and he describes the concept of economic value added developed by Stern Stewart in New York City. And he says that understanding that while EVA is easily today's leading idea in corporate finance and one of the most talked about in business, it is far from the newest. 
So what, what is EVA in layman's terms? It's adding value to your capital. Okay. Right. And, and he tells a story in there. You remember the story of Coca-Cola? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And before I forget, we're going to put this uh, article into, if you're a, a current client and you're registered on our member section of the website, this article is in there for you to, to read. Right. And, and they talk about that Stern Stewart went down to Coca-Cola and they analyzed their financial picture. And they noticed that one thing is that when, when Coca-Cola used the bank's money, obviously there was an interest charge in there. Right. But when, the, when Coca-Cola used the company's money, there wasn't. And so they had one simple question to the, to the, to the leaders of Coca-Cola, which was, I mean, because Nick, who owns Coca-Cola? The stockholders. The stockholders. So their question was, why is the stockholders' money not worth as much as the bank's money? <laughs> and they said, well, it is. Well, but when you use the stockholders' money, you don't pay interest. But when you use the bank's money, you do pay interest. So that was really an eye-opener for Coca-Cola. And they started to pay interest when they use the stockholders money. What do you think happened to the stock? I think it went up a little bit, didn't it? It did. It did. So when we think of EVA, we think of, again, Dave Ramsey saying, just pay cash. Right. But when we do that, we're treating our own capital as if it had no cost, which is a huge mistake. Sure. Right. And that when we figure that out, just like Coca-Cola, and we figure out that our capital does have a cost and it has value, and we need to treat it as such, obviously by controlling the banking function in our lives. And that, that's really a key component in understanding the infinite banking concept. Well, and most it was people don't accept that we finance everything we buy. Well, it reminds me of just asking the question, compared to what? So right. if, if you don't agree with this on the surface, well, let's, let's just compare it to what you're doing. Let's look at the real numbers. Uh, it reminds me again of, of a marketing company you and I talked to, and they said, well, what if you, what if you promised to pay someone a million dollars if they disproved the math behind infinite banking? Right. Well, it's just, it, it was part of, part of that question to us was rooted out of this. Like, well, if that works so good and you can prove it with math, why wouldn't someone do it? And Nelson says right here, if you know what's really happening, you'll know what to do. That's right. So, which by the way, that's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the meetings that we have with our clients is to educate them, to show them what's happening. Now they could choose not to do anything different. That's fine. Right. But if you know what's happening, you'll know what to do. So, so our job is to show them what's happening so that they can decide what to do. We coach them, et cetera, right? So let's just d dive into a little bit, like what's going on behind the scenes with the insurance company and these engineers? Can you, can you walk us through that a little bit? Well, yeah. When you think of designing a policy, you can really design the policy on two different chassis in the life insurance. 
side. It can okay. be the whole life chassis, right? When I mean chassis, like, like it, it is, it could be a, you know, it could be a motorcycle or it could be an automobile with four wheels, right? I mean, it, okay. if you think about it like that, there's, there's positives and negatives to each. Okay. Sure. But in the, on the life insurance side, the whole life policy is actuarial based. The risk is shifted to the insurance company and the insurance company has actuarial science on their side. And what I mean by that is I'm 54 years old. I graduated high school in 1983. There was about a thousand kids in my graduating class. Okay. If I call a head actuary and ask them how many kids out of those thousand are dead in about 15 minutes, they can calculate how many <laughs> wow. that are dead today. Now they can't calculate who, which will, I mean, that's another component of insurance, which is selection and, you know, and law, law of large numbers and blah, 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 blah. Right. But actuarial science is a science. It's not a guess. Well, I remember uh, Nelson, he always said the best actuaries are, are in Sicily. That's right. <laughs> they can actually tell you who's going to die. That's right. That's right. I love that joke. I forgot that joke, Nick. That's right. I miss those jokes of Nelson's because they never changed, but they were always funny and they always were very witty and to the point. Um, so it's like this. When we graduate from high school, we're all kind of on equal ground, right? We haven't gone to college. We haven't decided what we're doing. We haven't started businesses or anything else. And over right. time, we kind of separate ourselves. And Nelson uses the example in here of somebody that can wear out a car in 50,000 miles and other people can get two or 300,000. It's the same way with us, with our bodies, right? Yep. And, and when, when, what they do is they figure out based on how you've taken care of your body to this point and your hereditary, what am I trying to say? Your, your, um, your risk factors, your hereditary risk. Yeah. yeah your family, everything else. They take all of these things into consideration and they say, this is your risk. So we're, we're going to assign you this risk. We think that your standard risk or your preferred or your super preferred or whatever it is. Right. Yep. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that it just means based on all of this data, you have a better chance of living longer than the average person or shorter than the average person based on your, your health and, and your family history. Right. Right. And so they come up with all of that and they engineer of these policies to have exactly what and, and project out everything. Then the attorneys put together the contracts, right? Who, and owns, the, who owns the contract? Who owns the contract yeah. in, a, in a mutual insurance company? That's right. The policyholder owns the, the contract. That's right. Not the company. Unilateral contract. It's a unilateral contract, which in simple terms means the policyholder can change it, but the company can't, right? That's right. Okay. So when we look at that, now we have a piece of property. I mean, that's really what a life insurance contract is, is it's a valuable piece of property. And with property, we get certain rights. And that is you have to understand that the owner of the policy is the most important character in the scene. Now we draw out for people, the banking function and we show the depositor 
the owner of the bank and the borrower and how that relationship plays out. So if the owner of the bank is the most important person in that, in that play, and the owner of the policy is the most important character in this play, why is that? Hmm. They control the money. That's right. The right? Control. Whoever controls the money makes the money, right? Yep. And so the owner makes payments into the company, right? So yep. it, just like the bank owner puts their money in motion, puts it to work, and then, then it, it, it produces results. For the bank, it produces interest. So in this, in this case, back to how Nelson says, we're financing everything we buy. Well, we can create this money pool and partner with this money pool from the insurance company to finance all of the things that we're going to do in our life, those millions of dollars we're going to have. So it's a, it's a little different money pool that we're going to tap into. We can go to our commercial bank and tap into a pool of money from all these other people. And we don't, we're not the owner. Or we can go to the mutual insurance company, which the difference between a mutual company and stock company. In a stock company, there's outside people buying stock in the business, but that's, that's their only stake. In the mutual insurance company, only the policy owners own the business. There's not outside people that don't own the policy that are part owners of the business. So we're all teaming together to use money for all the needs in our life. That's exactly right. So what's cool about it is, as Nelson goes in, is that the actuaries are really the engineers. They're like overbuilding it, all right? And they're making it so that it gets more efficient as time goes on. This helped me from a technical background. And of course, Nelson doesn't miss an opportunity to talk about aviation again in the, in the book. And he actually talks about flying a, a 747. And I've had the privilege of flying one around the world a little bit. And he just talks about this because I think even we have a lot of clients that are pilots and we got a lot that aren't. And they all kind of can understand this because the 747 is such an iconic airplane. But, you know, you pull onto the runway in, in Hong Kong. It's like 12,000 foot runway, a 747 max weight's like 875,000 pounds. Okay. It's a pretty big creature. You've got about, I don't know, 16 hours of fuel on board. It's like 350,000 pounds of gas. All right. So you push the thrust levers all the way up, Jim. All right. Yep. You've got about 240,000 pounds of thrust that those engines are putting out. Okay. Well, you think it's going to accelerate fast or slow? Slow. Really slow. And if you're sitting in that cockpit and you see that runway getting shorter and shorter and the airspeed's going up pretty slow, it can feel like a very long time and the plane's it's not going fast enough soon enough. But you lift off and, and the engineers have done their job because here's the thing. The max takeoff weight was 875,000 pounds. But you know what they tested it at? What they certified it at in the test flight was over 890,000 pounds. So it can do that. It could, we could actually accidentally be overweight and we're still going to lift off. But here's the thing. When we're climbing and we're in cruise and 10 hours later, we're, we're approaching the United States. When we've burned off, I don't know, maybe 200,000 pounds of gas, well, the airplane's pretty nimble. But remember, those engines will still put out 240,000 pounds of thrust. And we've burned off a ton of weight. 
So we have much more nimble aircraft. By the time we we're going to land, if we were to do a go around, I've, you and I have talked about this before. If you're a passenger in an airplane and you ever do a go around for whatever reason, that's about the only time you felt maximum thrust. Hmm. And it people it startles people. Well, the same thing's going on in the in these insurance contracts where there's cost up front to establish this. The engineers have made it so that even if there there was a death claim prematurely, it doesn't it doesn't tank the the policy or the money pool. But after just a couple of years, the policy gets more and more efficient because we're putting money in, yet the compounding nature of it, we're getting more dollars to use than what we're putting in. And I just really appreciated how Nelson tied that together with the engineers in an airplane. Is that line that says, hey, don't go faster than this? Absolutely a, a, a certain, like a brick wall? No, it's not. There's, there's room for error in it. And they do this and they're incredibly secure with their, the reserves of money they have to have. You know, we've joked about how the FDIC has less than 1% of their deposits covered that they're right. insuring. Well, the insurance company, it's completely the other way. They have vastly more money on hand than basically, quote unquote, their liabilities. And they right. do this and it's for our benefit. It's not, it, failure is not an option for us as the contract owner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what I really love is that Nelson, when he used to do his two-day seminar, you know, he shows a, you said something that's really significant. I mean, you said a lot of great stuff there, Nick, but one thing that stands out to me is it gets better as we go. Now, how many things in your life get better as you get older? <laughs> I tell Meredith that I'm getting better as I get older. I, I know our minds uh, <laughs> believe that we're getting smarter, that we're getting, but, and, 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 and maybe we are, but you know, there's not a lot of things that get more efficient right. as we get older. And this is something that I always think about wall street. You know, I, I try, I'm going to build up this money, this pool of money. I'm going to then start living off of it and hope that I don't run out of money. That's not efficient because really when I'm younger, I can be more aggressive and hopefully my, my fund is going to grow at a higher rate when I'm younger because I can be more aggressive. But when I get older, I got to be more conservative. So it becomes less and less efficient. And then I'm just holding on. and I just want to make sure that I don't run out of money. But and you said the four letter word. Hope. That's right. That's the four letter word. Hope is not a strategy, audience. That's, uh, we say that all the time at Create Tailwind. Hope is not a strategy. And then Nelson talks about a policy that he bought in 1959, where the annual dividend is over 10 times the annual premium. Now, this was 25 years ago. Right. Okay. So, so think about that. He didn't, by the way, he didn't use it the most efficient way the first 15 years of the policy. Right. And by the way, his brother that passed away a, a long time before him, he's, he's, he's haunting him and trying to get an explanation of that. And you know what the brother's going to say? I didn't know that. Right? <laughs> like most life insurance agents. Like most life insurance agents. Hey, I didn't know that. My company didn't teach me that. Nelson will forgive him, I'm sure. And, uh, and probably already has, but Nelson says, I'm going to get an explanation. Well, I could have told him when he was alive, the explanation, <laughs> nobody ever told his brother that. All right. Let's cover, let's cover some Nelson here. Cause you've got a, you have an uncommon understanding of, of some components of life insurance contracts. And I've learned a tremendous amount from you. And Nelson gets in here on page 23 about the dividend. 
And, yeah. he, and he's talking about how the engineers have they've overbuilt this thing, right? Yep. But, but what happens when they go, all right, they look back and they go, hey, we did better than we thought we would do. You know, engineers, they're all proud, right? They, they overbuilt it and, and failure wasn't an option. And by golly, at the end of the year, they were able to prove it. So walk us through the dividend and kind of what happens there. Because again, you just got an uncommon understanding of this that most people don't. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the the spot that we're talking about. So when you think of the way that the insurance contract is designed, like right now we're on the 2017 mortality tables. So the policy is going to be designed and use the 2017 mortality tables. And so it might say that a 35-year-old is going to live till 90 years old or something like that. Everything is priced for that. But then they have selection, and so we get to decide, well, we're not really sure that person's not taking care of a condition they have or their, their family history is questionable. Or, so we, you know, we're not going to take that person. And, and so what happens is we only take the people that we want, the people that we believe that are going to do better than that. So when they, at the end of the year, we look back and say, wow, we didn't have the claims that we thought we were going to have. So we can pay a dividend, right? We can declare a dividend for that, that year. They is, this declare, like the, is this like a dividend for like my GE stock? No, this is, this is, this is basically an overpayment of premium. So it's a return of premium. Ah, got it. Like a, we, a refund. Yeah. We, we, hey, we collected too much. So we're going to give some of it back to you in the form of a dividend. Cool. And is that taxable? It's not taxable. Okay. So that is quite a bit different than my GE stock. Yeah, absolutely. So we declare a dividend. It's paid on every policy within that block of insurance contracts. Okay. But, but, but by the way, that's so much different. You know, we've been talking about a whole life chassis. A universal life chassis is really by term invest the difference under the life insurance umbrella. Now, okay. by the way, that sounds kind of sexy in the beginning, but then until you realize that all of the risk is being transferred to the policyholder, mm. right? Now, what do you have? Do you have a degree in actuarial science, Nick? Far from it. No, and, and either do I, and, and I would, I mean, there might be somebody in the audience that does, but it will be a few <laughs> rather than the majority. Now, <laughs> so that means that we're not as equipped to calculate what's going to happen over the next 30, 40, 50 years in this insurance contract. So this is where I want to count on the company's actuaries. So the actuaries, like engineers, overbuild it. When it comes in at 275,000 pounds instead of 290,000 pounds, well, then they're going to pay some money back for that savings and wait on the airplane. I hope that analogy floats <laughs> can, or flies. Can, I hope that analogy flies. I wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> well, once they declare the dividend and they pay it to us, can they take it back? They it cannot. That it, they cannot. It's ours. And okay, cool. by the way, we're buying little paid up additions, little one pay insurance policies that guess what, Nick, the next year. I uh, get dividends on top of those. They pay dividends. So now we're getting dividends on top of dividends on top of dividends. 
So now we can see how this thing gets so efficient as we get older, right? Yeah, now, cool. these pages are pages that people can kind of just breeze through, but they're really important to understand the value of the policy that you're going to have and how it's designed and why the whole life policy. And you, if you look at an illustration, and, and Nelson talks about this, if you look at an illustration, that illustration is a projection. It is not reality. Yeah. Dividends are going to be higher or they're going to be lower, but they're not going to be the same every single year, which is what this takes into consideration. But the guaranteed column is what? Guaranteed. It's guaranteed. It's the floor. It's the floor of the whole system. Right. If we looked at a guaranteed column in an indexed, an equity indexed universal life policy, it's going to say zero or something like that. There's no, I mean, there's no guaranteed column in those illustrations. Hmm. That is anything of significance. So right. it's projected. It doesn't have anything to do with current performance. But the whole life policy has the guaranteed. Here's your worst case scenario. And then here's what it's doing currently. Current market conditions. Now, do you see the difference in that? First, the universal life is going to be all the risk going to be on us and all the pressure is going to be on us to make the right decisions. Secondly, it's not based on today. It's based on what they, you know, they think that historically that that should be able to do six or percent or eight percent or whatever they're projecting. In in the rest of the financial world, like when you were doing financial planning and all all of that, were you dealing in guarantees too often? No, never guarantees. Oh, never guarantees. It's always past performance. So what we could expect is that it would perform similarly Got it. in the future, right? But then there was always a disclaimer, Nick, past performance does not guarantee future results. Mm. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing what it says, but you know, I don't have time to go through their, their warnings inside of a prospectus because we would be here for the next two years trying to explain <laughs> perspectives. If, but, the, but the whole point is, is that we want to, we're trying to solve the problem to kind of kind of wrap this up. We're trying to solve the problem as Nelson touches off of financing everything we buy. And, and yeah. we want to do this through a money pool that we own and control that is stable, has these guarantees, has been designed for our benefit. We talked about the engineers over designing it. So it's not guaranteed to, to perform better than design, but history tells us it, it tends to. And, and we get this money pool to choose to, to go finance all the stuff that we're going to do in our life, to right. see opportunity, take care of emergencies. And, and that's kind of where we come in is, hey, we're not, we're not really just trying to sell you a life insurance contract. We want to coach your behavior because right. your best investment is your behavior. If you're going out racking up credit card debt and, and uh, being willy-nilly with your money, well, your behavior is causing your, your financial shortfalls. It's not that you haven't made good investments outside of that. It's your right. behavior. And so we want, to, we want to help modify behavior, change behavior, so that you can achieve financial success in a way that you never even dreamed of. Absolutely. So when you buy this insurance contract, then you are in, the, in this banking system, you're the what? Yeah. You're the you're owner. The owner. Okay. So when you're the owner, 
when you when you became a pilot, if you're going to go into the the flying business, you had to get some training, right? That's right. I mean, so this is why these things are important, and and the meetings that you have and the questions that you ask are important. Is if you would have gotten that airplane without any training, the results would have to be disastrous. I'm probably not sitting here. That's right. Probably not. <laughs> and and so we wouldn't go into, you wouldn't say, I'm going to dive into the grocery business. Nelson starts with, you have to educate yourself, right? right? So we have to educate ourselves on what we're buying. And if you just say, well, it's some whole life policy and it's high cash value. Okay. You're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Understand that the insurance company works for you. So now you've got to understand what they do, right? What actuaries do, how they calculate this stuff, how they're going to give you back a dividend, right? How they're going to declare a dividend, pay you that dividend, what they're going to do with the dividend, what you're going to be able to do with the dividend. Because now I got more money to use of the insurance company's money. And I get to use 100% of my equity in this company that I own, this money pool. Do you know why when you get your pilot certificate and then you keep moving up and get your commercial and your airline transport pilot certificate, you take, a, do you know why you take a lot of weather classes and uh, education? Hmm. Cause you got to understand the environment you're going to operate in. I love that. And, Cause that's and what's that's, happening here. That's exactly right. We need to understand. We got to understand the noise that's bombarding us all day, every day, that financial noise. Yeah. We got to understand that th this insurance contract, that's going to give us uncommon ability and choices. All right. And, and it's just a matter of understanding all of that, like having your eyes open. I know that the, the uh, iceberg thing is almost a little bit of a broken record and used a lot, but I cannot stress to you enough how applicable it is to this. You're only seeing a little bit of, of the uh, total picture and there's a ton below the water in the financial world. And if you understand what all that is doing and what it, what it is and the environment, then you'll know what to do. That's right. That's right. And you know, the iceberg is kind of maybe an overused analogy until you flip it upside down, which nobody does. And that's what we do <laughs> at Create Tailwind. And if you want to learn more about how to flip the iceberg upside down, so where you can see the 90% and that most people never see their entire lives and they continue to be part of the herd and never break away. If you want to break away, go to createtailwind.com, set up a meeting. There's no call to action. There's no close at the end. We just educate you. If, if you want to learn how to control your environment financially from a banking standpoint, and you want to learn more about how and why that's so important, we're willing to teach you. So Nick, there's a lot to think about there. It, it tells us that, you know, we could probably spend 30 minutes on every page in this book. Um, <laughs> and it's why you have to read this book over and over again. Even if you're a current client, pick it up the book, make yeah. a commitment over the summer, read it at least one more time. And uh, while you're hanging out at the pool and enjoying the sunshine and Nick, until next time, thank you very much for your time. Likewise. And audience, createtailwind.com, Breakaway Wealth Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend or two or 10 or as many as you have. We appreciate you, audience, and appreciate your time. And we'll continue to try to bring you quality information every week. Till next time. Thank you. 
Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.